Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. Mike Chappell will join us coming up just about a little under 30 minutes, about 25 minutes from now to talk about the Colts. Indiana over the weekend, one of those games where, I, you know, a loss is a loss, I get it, but I think there were some encouraging things to see because Kansas is one of the best, certainly one of the most active and, to use a buzzword, long teams in college basketball. Don Fisher, the voice of the Hoosiers, joins us to talk about that and more. But, uh, Don, before that, I, I want to begin with this. You know, I was talking about it a minute ago. I don't know that people that, that didn't live here at the time understood, you know, maybe understand what a huge pillar in high school basketball in the late 80s and early 90s Eric Montross was. And and then when he went to North Carolina, the polarization of that decision. But I think what we have come to learn, and a lot of people have, is just what a totally decent and fine human being Eric Montross was in addition to being a tremendous basketball player and I was simply curious if over the course of his AAU time and and things in the area if you had any chance to to kind of cross paths with or get to know Eric Montross I did uh, only from the standpoint that um, he became the the voice or the uh, color analyst for the North Carolina Tar Heels after his playing days at North Carolina and I knew him before that, had met him before that. Uh, I know he, how close he was with Todd Leary and, and uh, the fact that they played together on that state championship team. And, and honestly, um, it, it is such a loss, in the, just in the sense of what kind of a great person he was, uh, a tremendous human being, a wonderful family man, a wonderful family. Uh, and at age 52 to pass, uh, it's just, it's a tragedy in so many ways, and I, I feel so bad for their family. I, I did call Todd this morning uh, when I learned that Eric had passed away, and he was distraught, obviously. And, uh, and you know, it's one of those things. I mean, th- this is a this is a guy that everybody liked. If you didn't like Eric Montross, you don't like people, and um, it's just a shame that he's passed. Todd Leary, by the way, um, who I think a lot of people, Don, from a basketball standpoint – it's kind of like, to be honest with you, kind of like McGinnis and Downing. Like you think of Montross from a high school standpoint, it was Montross and Leary because they were such a, a tandem and a really good tandem on that state championship team. Um, and Todd's going to join us. He wanted to be able to talk about Eric and his contribution as a player and as a person. Uh, Todd going to join us at 2.30 today on the program. Um, Don, let's go back to what I thought was, you know, I guess two ways to look at it. The first is a gut punch loss for Indiana because it was right there within their grasp against Kansas. The other is, I guess, encouraging because Kansas is as good as you're going to get in college basketball, and Indiana gave them everything they wanted, to be honest with you. Um, You know, which way do you look at it? Just overall, I guess, your assessment of that game at Assembly Hall. Well, my first takeaway uh, from that ball game is is how competitive Indiana was. I guess there's a pretty good contrast, if you know what I'm talking about, in regard to that game and the game that preceded it uh, against Auburn uh, in Atlanta. And 
just how competitive uh, this ball club was uh, in this matchup with a really great program and, and a really good Kansas basketball team. Uh, you knew you were going to get a great shot from them. The crowd that was there on Saturday was phenomenal. With the students being gone, you would have thought, well, maybe things aren't going to be quite as electric as they normally would be, and they were just as, if not even more so. Uh, from a crowd perspective, I know that got these guys adrenaline pumping pretty good on the IU ball club, uh, and it was like that throughout the ball game and the energy that that crowd brought to the table and what energy these guys played with gives you an idea that they're capable. They're, they're capable of beating anybody on a given day if they apply themselves and they play that hard and that tough. Uh, unfortunately, they ran out of gas at the end. I think Mike indicated that he thought that they got tired, and, and certainly they did to some degree uh, because they played so many of them, played so many minutes. But at the same time, they made the mistakes at the end that they didn't finish the ball game, that they couldn't finish the ball game with, the, the turnovers. And again, I think fatigue, especially for Trey Galloway, who had two or three of those turnovers in the last five minutes of the ball game, I think that all because of how hard he played throughout. And of course, he had the game of his life from a career standpoint at Indiana with 28 points. So, And he just played spectacular at both ends of the floor, both offensively and defensively. So my takeaway on it more than anything else, though, was the fact that they played so competitively in this matchup with a team that if you weren't playing competitively, you would have had no chance. Voice of the Hoosiers, Don Fisher, is our guest. Don, you mentioned Galloway. You mentioned the 28 points. I don't think the expectation should be he needs to get 17 shots a game necessarily, but him taking a step forward like this would be massive for IU moving forward. How does he turn this into a, a jumping-off game for him or a jumping-off platform? Again, not saying he needs to average 28 a night, but <laughs> this is the type of player that going into the season you would like him to be, especially in big games. Well, and I think if you if you look at how Kansas played in that ball game, they were bound to determine not to let Khalil Ware or Malik Renew be major factors in the ball game. They tried to double those guys every single time they came down the floor, and it opened the floor for the rest of the team. I mean, look at the the drives to the basket that Galloway was able to have going to the rim, and of course he made a couple of those really tough shots. Uh, but they also knocked down two three-point field goals. And Indiana had six three-point field goals in that ball game, which is beyond their norm, which is a good thing. Um, that was another thing that opened up the floor. So, you know, it's kind of what the defense is going to give you on some nights. And in this particular case, they were allowing Indiana's guards to be more of a factor. And the good news is that the guards took advantage of it. So I, I think that's a big key. And from Trey's perspective, uh, he, I just hope that the two for four he went from three-point range gives him that confidence back that he's been looking for because prior to this ball game he had not been a factor from the three-point line and last year he hit 48% from the line from the three-point line which was spectacular. This year he hasn't even taken that enough shots to be even close to that. So uh, you know I, I just think his confidence level should rise off of this performance and nobody expects him to score 28 a ball game that's for sure but. But he played so well and so hard. Uh, I think that's a big, uh, a good sign for this ball club. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. 
Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Don, we live in a world, and I am absolutely guilty of this, you know, our expectations and our need for instant gratification is far more accelerated probably than it was 10, certainly 20 years ago, and that's true of young players. You know, within two games, if a guy's not automatically at the level people think, ah, this guy's a bust, whatever. McKenzie Mbako, to me, is a guy that, that came in, you know, with huge expectation and I have to remind myself that he is a freshman basketball player and that he is still learning his way, yet I'm starting to see, and I want you to tell me if I'm wrong here, but I'm starting to see game by game a little bit more introduction of what he's able to do, and in particular when he's in more of a, like a freestyle uh, you know, ability to just kind of play and not think his way through it, that the talent is certainly there. And it feels like he's about to break through a ceiling. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I, and I think he started doing that about four games ago. I think I think he has really started to play his best basketball here in the last two or three weeks. Uh, I think his his uh, confidence level has risen. I think his understanding of the offense and what Mike Woodson asked of him, uh, he's starting to understand those things. I think his defense has gotten better. I think he's been a little more active on the on the boards as well. Um, he's a freshman. He's still in that process of figuring it all out, and it's going to take a while, but uh, there's no doubt. I mean, he has, in this particular game, uh, he has 14 points. Most of them scored in the first half because he got himself in a little foul trouble in the second half of the ball game. And I, I would have still liked to have seen him a little more on the floor toward the end of the contest than, than he was, but at the same time, um, uh, he has taken a lot of really nice leaps forward here in the last two, three, four ball games of the season. Uh, he's in double figures in each one of those. Um, and if he continues to just kind of make this uh, a little bit of a step ladder and keep climbing that ladder, he's going to be spectacular before the season ends. The Hall of Famer Don Fisher with us. Don, I'd kind of circled this game as a first test not that you can really simulate what that seven-foot giant in Zach Eady down at West Lafayette or up at West Lafayette can do, <laughs> but you get a first real test with that in terms of how Khalil Ware is going to match up against Hunter Dickinson. He still has 15 boards, but 11 points is where his afternoon ends. How did you feel he looked, and how did he do in terms of if you view that matchup as a test for what's to come against bigs like Zach Eady in the Big Ten? Well, I thought he handled himself pretty well in the sense of what he was able to do from a physical standpoint. But if you watch that game, Kansas was bound and determined to make sure where and renew were not major factors in the contest. They doubled almost every time down the floor. Every time they touched the basketball, somebody else was coming at them in addition to the guy that was guarding them. Uh, they just didn't want to let wear or renew be the major factors in the game. And that's why Galloway was able to, to go off and go crazy on him because he was let free and, and basically he, he took advantage of it. So uh, I was not disappointed in what I saw from Khalil. And I think Malik is a guy that still, uh, he gets some crazy fouls out there, or fouls that I think he should be 
uh, it shouldn't get because they're just not smart fouls. I mean, he, he doesn't take advantage of his opportunities or the more minutes that he could be on the floor if he gets himself in foul trouble, which he has often so far this year. If there's one area that he needs to get better at right now, in my mind, it is the fact that he, he sometimes commits a dumb foul that gets him in trouble and puts him on the bench. So uh, at this point, uh, I'm not at all discouraged with where and I know everybody says, well, he didn't score that many points against Kansas and Hunter Dickinson, but it was more Kansas' defense that was taking him away. Don, we were talking about this in the office earlier. Don Fisher, the voice of the Hoosiers, is our guest. I wanted you to opine on it because I thought it was a really good point um, that was brought up by one of our coworkers. When it comes to today's college basketball and just the evolution from year in to year out of rosters with, you know, obviously transfers and you know, all of that that goes into it, that Mike Woodson, because of his NBA background, would almost have an advantage or be more accustomed to be able to kind of adjust on the fly to personnel as it evolves. Because in the NBA, that's how you do it, right? You've got new rosters every year. Have you been able to see, I guess, in Mike Woodson, a comfort level in assimilating and working in when there is the reintroduction or the introduction, I should say, of new players like aware. And then obviously the freshmen that have to come in and play as well. Does he seem to have, I guess, that historical comfort level with the challenge that comes with that? Yeah, that's a hard one for me to answer, Jake. I, I, I don't know if I, I'm not quite, I'm not sure I understand completely what you're asking here because well, in other words, you know, you now see, like, in the NBA, obviously, at any given time, you're going to get key players that are coming in and coming out because of free agency and other such things. And I realize that you get that in graduation at the college basketball level, but I don't know that you have the continuity of roster in today's game in the college level, with the exception of the every four-year you know turnover, like you did five or ten years ago. And yet, is it his advantage that he is more accustomed to be able to adapt on the fly from one year to the next with key pieces coming in or going out? I don't know that there's an advantage to that, to be quite honest, um, from the NBA level to the college level. I just think it's different. Um, because college players, certainly, if they're just brand new to the program, it really takes them a long time to assimilate and to, to understand uh, what they're getting into unless they've been around it their whole lives. Um I mean, if you take a look at what Bob Knight did as a basketball coach, he got guys who understood they were going to have to come in and learn his system. And so many of the guys that did come in were already guys that were in the state of Indiana, and their coaches were already teaching Bob Knight stuff. Right, I mean, right. If you think about it. So there wasn't – there wasn't. I mean, today's, today's world's different because of the portal. There's no question about that. Um, so my gut feeling is that Mike has done a pretty good job of adapting to what he's dealing with at this point. I, I, I don't think he's having a problem in that regard. I, I think that Mike still, I think, believes that he needs to have a, a really strong bench out there. That's a big part of what NBA life is all about. And look at Kansas. They play basically seven guys. They played eight in this ball game against Indiana, but the three guys that came off the bench – didn't play all that much. The the the, uh, the one kid uh, uh, Timberlake that came into the ball game played only in the first half. Didn't even play in the second half. Um, and and so again, they played basically with seven guys throughout this contest. And the primary starters played almost thirty six to thirty seven minutes each one of them. So uh, 
they're not changing a lot in that regard. There's not a lot of assimilation there for, for players coming off the bench. These guys are already playing the best players on their team. And if he's only got five, then there's playing those five most of the time. You know, Don, the one thing about Kansas that I, when I was watching, it, one game does not a season make, I realize, but it just felt like if any of their players were open, Dickinson included, you know, from three-point range, that, that it was a dangerous look. I mean, that they, they had guys that can shoot one through five on the floor at any given time. That's obviously been an Achilles for Indiana is getting reliant outside shooting. Yeah. I know Xavier Johnson's a part of that, but do they have? Does Indiana have shooters that they're just not getting good looks for, or do they have guys that simply flat out need to work on the consistency of outside shooting? Well, I think a little bit of both. Um, <laughs> I, I honestly think that this team struggles with the outside shot because of. In, in many, and, and, okay, let's just take C.J. Gunn for an example. C.J. Gunn has always been a shooter. He believes he's a shooter. He believes he's a guy that can knock you down shots and he can do it from long range. And yet he's not doing it on a consistent basis. He's three for nine this year in, 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 in play for Indiana. He's not getting as many minutes as he would like at times. I'm sure of that. He's averaging 3.2 points a ball game. Can C.J. Gunn shoot? Yeah, I mean, you talk about guys that they that were were talked about in preseason practices. They were talking about C.J. Gunn going on streaks that were just phenomenal in practice sessions. He hasn't done that in the game. I can't answer the question what what the problem is. I mean, why is that happening? Not happening in games? Well, a lot of times it's because of his shot selection. And that's one of the things that I, if he just shot the shots that he is, that the coaches would want him to shoot, I think he'd probably knock down more shots. But he is, he's a guy that comes off the bench and immediately the first thing you think about when you talk about CJ is he's going to shoot it. So, and it doesn't matter what kind of shot it is. So uh, it's hard to, it's hard to examine it in that context. Caleb Banks is another guy that can knock down threes, but he's not shooting at the, at the top of his game. And he, He's rarely taking shots sometimes, and I just don't understand that if you're a shooter. So at this juncture, the best shooter in this basketball team is Mackenzie Mbako as far as three-point shooting is concerned, and he's only hitting 24%. There is an answer there someplace, but I don't know where it's at. And, you know, Don, he's another one that, that and I mean, I know you watch practices, you know, the, the narrative or certainly the belief is there that once he kind of gets into rhythm and maybe just gets his feet underneath him, that Mbako's a guy that – won't need a lot of time to get a shot off and can can be a rhythm shooter. I mean, I've heard that from a just from a shooting standpoint in terms of watching a guy shoot, it's like sitting there watching Brian Evans in practice, right? You could sit and watch it all day long. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, and and McKenzie in the ball game uh, against Kansas was 2 for 4 from the three-point line. Renew was 2 for 4 from the three-point line in that game as was Galloway. So and, and yeah, that's a that's a great line. Except there's just how many shots did they take from the three point line? Well, in this game, they took 16. That's about five or six or seven more than they've been taking of late. So uh, I don't know what the answer is from a three point shooting perspective. All I do know is that I know they've got some guys that are capable, uh, but they've got to do it at the right time, and they've got to be in position to take the right kind of shot and not be sliding all over the floor and taking crazy shots and things like that. Inside IU Basketball with Don and Mike Woodson tonight airing on this station after the Pacer game and then tomorrow night on WIBC, our sister station, 630 Tip, Indiana and Moorhead State. Don, 
Uh, hard to believe it's a week from today, so get your shopping done. But wanted to be sure and wish you a very Merry Christmas. Always appreciate the conversations, and we certainly wish you a Merry Christmas. Thanks. Merry Christmas to you guys, too, and to all the listeners out there on your radio station. Appreciate it. Don Fisher, the voice of the Indiana Hoosiers. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20-milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Mike Chappell is the dean of NFL writers and Colts coverage. He has been covering the franchise since they arrived in the Mayflower trucks. He is now, of course, with WXIN and CBS4, and he joins us on the program. Uh, Chap, first off, Merry Christmas. How are you? Good. How are you guys doing? Uh, Merry Christmas and happy holidays and all that stuff. Yes. That, uh, we're good. You know what? I, listen, it feels like forever ago that the Colts played. Um. But it is crazy to think, Mike, that they here they are, one Jacksonville loss, and, and I do think Jacksonville may stub their toe one more time. They've lost three in a row. If the Colts went out, chap, we're going to be watching playoff football at Lucas Oil Stadium this year. Whoever would have thunk it? Yeah, I, you know, two or three weeks ago, I was thinking, you know, I really think they make wild card, but I just thought Jacksonville had it together enough that they wouldn't you know, stumble it away. But here we are. Uh, now, again, three three teams at eight and six. Jacksonville does have and will have, I believe, I think we'll have the tie breaks if, if there's a tie. But if I see uh, Trevor Lawrence is in concussion protocol. Correct. And it's, I tell you, I don't know what the numbers are, but it's, I bet it's 90% of the players who get concussions in a, on, on, a, on one weekend don't play the next. I, I, and I don't think I'm too far off on that, the 90%. The Colts have had, I don't know, two guys maybe have done it this year. So, and, and they would have had tough time winning with Lawrence in Tampa. So, yeah, that's – and we've all known or felt that the, the last game with, with Houston would be probably a play-in game for one of them. But to think that that might be for the division – I mean, holy smokes! That that it's it just shows you how the season's gone, and these guys, it's all that they've been through, all the uh, the the couple losses that are just killers, the injuries, to say, hey, win three in a row, and and you probably win the division. Uh, what a finish that would be! Okay, chap, I've got a a weird football equation to run past you, and then I want you to tell me if it's even a possibility. Are you ready? I'm stunned that I've never seen this, and I want you to tell me if it's because I have conjured up something that isn't even legal in the NFL. You've probably done that in your dreams. I mean, so I I understand where this is coming from. (laughs) Okay. So I've said forever in basketball, chap, that if there's like four seconds left in a game and you're up by one or two or whatever – and you have and you have the ball 
when they inbound, so long as you're not underneath the massive scoreboard that's now there at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. But if why not just throw the ball as high in the air as possible? And by the time it comes down, the clock has run out, right? And you've won sure. the game, okay? Sure. So here's my NFL thought. I'm watching the end of the Cleveland-Chicago game. Cleveland gets it down to like the, the I think it was the 9 or the 11-yard line with like 55 seconds left, and they have a first down. Everyone knows, and they got to kick a field goal to win the game. It's tied. Everyone knows they're going to run the clock down to kick a field goal. But Chicago has three timeouts left, right? So, so Cleveland runs three plays, three runs right up the middle, keeps the ball in the middle of the field, and then kicks a field goal, and now there's still like 30 seconds left for Chicago to try to get down and whatever. Why Why is it – would this be allowed? Here's the Jake Query, if I'm the coach, and then Mike Chappell, you tell me that, as the general manager that this is not legal, okay? okay? You put in, in that situation, like literally three fullbacks, or you, you pull all your receivers and you put in literally just your big-bodied fullback goal line type team. As soon as you snap the ball, you basically turn around and hand it to your tailback who runs three yards backwards and then just zigzags back and forth while your line continues to hold off the defense until a defender gets close enough that your tailback just then takes a dive, they touch him, you've now burnt like nine additional seconds per play, and by the time you get down to the fourth down, you have exhausted almost all clock and your field goal is truly a game winner and the other team has zero chance of getting the ball back and getting in position to tie it. Your thoughts? Yeah, how long was the field goal to actually hit? It wasn't a long one, was it? Thirty? Was it thirty? No, nah, it wasn't that long. Yeah, it was about about thirty. Okay, so so if you if you trust your kicker, then you you know you dilly dally around for you know five, ten, fifteen seconds, and as long as you don't lose like fifteen yards, yeah. I mean you don't want to do that. But but then you know crazy things happen, and and you see Trevor Lawrence fumble when nobody touches him. Uh, and that's and then and then you you lose your job. So I understand but, but, what you're saying. So, but here's the thing, though: is there a legality? I'm almost embarrassed to ask this. Is there a maximum number of players that can be in backfield at time of snap? Well, you, well, you have to have certain. And again, I'm not a rule. Do you have to be a certain amount on the line? Obviously, on right? the line. So I, you can have. You know, we see wishbones all the time. Not all the time, but we see wishbones and wildcats. So. You could do that. I mean, as long as within but, – but what you're saying would work no matter how many guys are in the backfield. Have the quarterback and a running back and have the running back, you know, max protect up front and then have the running back, you know, zigzag and try to burn some time. But, again, the more time you do that, then we've seen a lot of, you know, butt fumbles and all that stuff. And we see <laughs> – I get it. We, we see that. And then, and then you're great – you're great – idea again gets you fired on the spot before you go to the locker room so i i, I know what you're saying and there i think there are times that you can do that to where you can leave even if it's just five seconds left. What, what did the, the hail mary came with four seconds to play i think so you know take five or six seconds off by not just taking a knee you know you you, you see how time goes off at the end of the first half here we are pounding jacksonville and they deserve it they get the ball down at the end of the first half with the long pass. The guy didn't get out of bounds. And then they have time to line up and spike the ball. And he's in the shotgun, and he throws it to the side, and the guy doesn't get out of bounds, and the clock runs out. What are you 
doing. So there are ways, certainly, to kill time. Uh, I don't. I wouldn't go Jake Query crazy doing it. I, I, but I think a quarterback or, or a running back can certainly kill five seconds, six seconds. It, it, and sometimes you think, what's well, a big deal? Well, like last, like in the Bear game, you know, if everything plays out the way it did, they wouldn't have had time for the Hail Mary. So yeah, I, I wouldn't go query extreme on 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 almost almost <laughs> That's nothing. So no one should. That, but 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 I, I see a little. In, in what you're saying, but I, I, I'm not on I'm not on that boat. Chap, before. do you remember? Look, this is going on the way back, but I'm going to say it was either Nick Harper, might have been David Macklin. I think it was Nick Harper, and I'm not talking about the the famous Pittsburgh yeah. play. There was one of the years where there was a pick six, and there was a lot of criticism and like sportsmanlike conversation about oh, he the weaved fact into the end zone. Correct. He ran up and down the sidelines and weaved before he went into the end zone, and people thought he was showboating. And I think the narrative was, no, I was trying to take as because I was so far ahead of everybody lagging back, I was burning as much clock as possible right. before I, going I, into I, the end zone. I don't remember who it was. I remember that, and I remember a few times when guys have done it. And sometimes, a few times, they're showboating, but sometimes again, you're just. It, it, it's sort of like uh, one of the plays. Well, we saw we've seen a couple of players do it. But Peyton did it one time when he reversed, sort of, but where he 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 runs the bootleg and whether it was in the Saints or whoever it was, and he has a chance to score. Maybe the Raiders, and he has a chance to score, and he slides down at like the two yard line. Yeah, because because scoring was not a good thing. Well, and about Bradshaw, remember the Super Bowl? That was wasn't it Bradshaw right. in the Super Bowl that fell into the end zone, and it was like. Right, you know, he was supposed to take a knee there, right? Um, yeah, and Jonathan Taylor almost did that. Uh, was it two years ago against uh, the Patriots? Because scoring was the only way the other team could get back in the game. So there, there are a lot of things. The problem you run into if you haven't had the luxury of like a timeout before the play is you're asking players to make those type of strategy decisions on the fly. I mean, literally on the fly. Jonathan Taylor told us that when he was running on that, whatever it was, a 50 or 60 yarder, he's looking back at the bench unbelievably with a guy closing on him, wondering if he should go down. So it, it's really difficult to do. And I'm sure to some, to some level teams prepare for Now, if we get in this, we do, but then you do that. And again, you get in the middle of the game and you forget what you mentioned. You talked about on Thursday or Friday or in the team meeting on Saturday and if I'm a player, you know, they say at the end of a game, knock the ball down. If I'm a DB, I want that pick. I just do. <laughs> so, But, uh, yeah, it, it's really interesting how time management can be such a a funky thing. And, and again, like I say, in a couple of these games, if you just drain a few more seconds off, a lot of things don't happen at the end. The Dean Mike Chappell of Fox 9 and CBS 4 joins us. Chap, we've talked about all throughout the season, and Jake has used this analogy throughout time of backup quarterbacks are only as good as a spare tire. You can go a short distance with them, but eventually you try to go cross-country with it and things are going to fall apart, it's going to fail. But Gardner Minshew appears to be aging the opposite way at times this year. It's been a roller coaster, but 18-28, 215, three touchdowns, pass rating north of 120. That's not a fair bar. I'm not saying that should be the expectation, but... What should be the expectation slash how how good does he need to play in terms of these final three games? Is it just 
doing what he's done, which is try to avoid those turnover plays, or does he need to be as efficient as he has been over this stretch? Yeah, that, I mean that—that's what. You, I mean, you, you give, give me three more of those, and then we'll we'll take that with whatever the rest of the team does. Uh, it, it's amazing how efficient he can be. Any team can be when you can run the ball. It, it's it, this is not you know complicated stuff. It's it's football one on one. You run the ball, and it makes. What did Josh Allen complete? Was it seven passes last night? I think against Dallas because they ran for like a zillion. Boy, they did uh, run the ball efficiently, didn't they? Well, and that's and that's and, and again, to, if you had told anybody that you know, like on Saturday morning, listen, the Colts are going to run for one seventy without Jonathan Taylor and Zach Moss will have thirteen yards. You just said, "Hey, give me give me another hit of what you got," because that's just <laughs> that's just not even to be expected. And and they they just to have a team like Pittsburgh, you know, they're certainly not what their reputation has them to be they're not they, they've done some smoke and mirror things this this year but w- when they know on a on a drive with a game really hinging and the Colts ran it 13 straight times with people not named Moss and, and Taylor and they drained almost nine minutes off the clock that's just that that's what you want and and Minshew I, I don't I, I don't want to say Minshew with the game manager Saturday he made some plays he really did he just needs to stay away from those really bad turnovers that this team's not good enough to to overcome. They've had, I think, four games this year with no turnovers. That's really that's really impressive to do. So yeah, he 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 doesn't need to do more than he did uh, on Saturday. But if he comes close to that, you know, normally to me, two fifteen isn't normally enough to get it done. But when everything else is working and and you know, you get the run game that you can rely on. That that's what he wants. It's just whenever this team asks him, demands him to do too much, then you see why he is. For this, I don't mean to be critical. It, it's why he is the tier quarterback that he is. That's not. I, I, I don't mean it to be critical. I mean he, he is he is wherever he is on that quarterback tier chart. You know not. Certainly not a, a, a top-tier starter, or he would be somewhere else, but a really, really good backup and a better backup than most teams have had this year. Cleveland's have been doing some amazing things. They really have. But what, what this guy's done has been really, really remarkable, and I'd love to get Shane Steichen either on True Serum or, or Booze, which sometimes that's the both. It's the same thing. And to see how he really evaluates what Minshew's done this year. There have been those rough spots, but by and large, he's really played well. And is he one of those guys in the offseason you, you re-sign? I'd say probably yes. Now it's going to cost you a little bit more than, what was it, $3.5 million, whatever. It'll cost you more. But when Richardson comes back next year, you know he's going to miss some time whether it's a quarter, whether it's a game, but just because of the style he's going to play. So I, I think Minshew's done amazing things, and we all can can cut apart and, and criticize this, that, and the other, the fumbles. There's still too, still too many fumbles. There just are. But, boy, what, he, he's kind of saved their day. And that's why, you know, I, I don't think this team is, is positioned 
for a deep run in the playoffs. I'll tell you, you, you play the first game at home against the five seed, which right now is what, Cleveland? Cleveland, yep. Uh, boy, I tell you, I, <laughs> I would, I'd take that. I want to see Joe Flacco keep doing it because he, he's, he, he's really doing amazing things. But I, I just, it, it would be a great story. And this team remains almost all under the radar. No one's talking about nationally. It's always, you know, Stefanski for coach of the year and this team, that team. And but what, what Steichen has done with losing, you know, Richardson and Taylor playing, gosh, what is it, five games, six games, and Braden Smith being out and not getting much out of Shaq, I think it's truly amazing what they've done. So it'd be a great feel-good story locally, certainly, for this team to get in and, and what that would do to me as far as reinforcing I hate to use the word culture because you know, but but the foundation that they're putting together, the, the positive reinforcement would be amazing. Life is full of things to manage: your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Chap, somebody pointed this out to me, and I wanted to ask you, Mike Chapel, your, your thoughts on it. I thought it was a really interesting perspective. When you look at Trey Sermon, you look at Tyler Goodson, you look at guys who, in every team, I was saying it earlier in the show, every football fan base in the NFL, it's like, the thing I love about my team is they're always next man up. I mean, everybody says right. it, right? Everybody says it. But if how much of the release, the, the shocking cut, of Shaquille Leonard, how much was that a wake-up call to the entire roster of, you know what, anybody is susceptible and everybody better be ready. I I better get my P's and Q's in order because if you're on this franchise, if you're in this franchise, Shane Steichen's made it clear, you're going to have a chance because if if somebody above me is not performing, my number's going to be called. How much much of a message was sent by that? Uh, A lot. Now, you you can say the same thing uh, in the season opener with Deion Jackson. Uh, he, he was a starting running back when those guys were out, and he had a couple of fumbles and didn't do much. And you know, then he's gone, and he he played pretty well last year. The thing that yeah, because the thing that these everyone has to realize, player wise, I mean, Steichen had nothing nothing invested in Shaq Leonard. Same with Gus Bradley; they, they didn't draft him. So that it, it's it's if yeah, if a guy's not doing it, they're going to move on. The only thing I'd say against that, I guess is I can't think of too many players – I can't think of any players who who should have been on alert and now, boy, now, now, now they're st- snapping up and saying, okay, I better get my act together because I haven't seen anybody really – you know, the old – whatever the movie was, lollygagging, a bunch of lollygaggers. I, I haven't seen anybody who, after the shack was let go, they said, well, I guess I, said, I better get my, my act together. But, no, it, it, it's a fair point. 
everybody they got on this roster is is they, they're under evaluation. Now was that was that just, Steichen or Ballard that made that move? Uh, probably both. I mean, it, it, probably both. And I and it's probably one there. I really doubt Gus Bradley went to went to the man and said, "No, wait a minute, no." So I, he he was telling us on our on our Tuesday Zoom calls that in his own way, the check wasn't anywhere near the player he once was. That's why I say with, with Gus being here, he, he he's not he's not seen. He, he he never he never had benefit of what Shaq could do, and Shaq was a great great player. I hope people don't ever forget. How, the level of player he was before this back injury, but but that that carried zero weight uh, with these guys, and you, you could say that's if Shane Steichen had been coach with uh, when Vinny had the, the first year with Vinny having the bad year kick, and what was it nineteen? I think it was. I, I don't think that would have gone as long as as, as Frank let it go. So, but yeah, it's yeah. There, there's a new guy in town. There's a new guy, and, and I think Steichen, if he walks into Chris's office and says, "Hey, this, this, we can't have this, or we can't keep going with this," I think I think Ballard certainly listens. I mean, that, that's 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 how a head coach and a GM work together. That's that, that's when it works. And it, there there might be there probably are times when Chris will push back and say, "Listen, I understand what you're saying, but this is why we're doing this." And then what you'll see maybe is a guy's inactive or something. But, uh, no, I, I think that's a good point. But I just – I can't think of, of a player – maybe I'm just missing something – who hasn't been playing to that level. And, boy, now they you know they really got their attention. But, no, I, I think it's a valid point. Well, what it says is accountability. I don't care who you are. you got to play to this level. Or, now, I'm not saying it's going to be if you don't play to that level, we're going to catch up. But it might certainly be that you're going to be replacing the starting lineup, and and have to earn your way back in. But whenever you've got a new coach, uh, it, again, and he doesn't draft guys, and it's not his whatever, you, you you better darn be sure expecting that that, that you're you're under a heavy microscope, and, and if you're not playing to the level, not your level, but to the level that they expect you to play at, something's going to happen. Mike, when you look at Mike Chappell's our guest from CBS Four and WXIN Fifty Nine, talking about the Colts. Trey Sermon and Tyler Goodson, you know, 157 yards between the two of them, um, and, and you know, really good averages and, and hard runs for both. Does that say more about the fungible nature of the running back position or the way the offensive line was able to play for the Colts against Pittsburgh? Yeah, I think it's the offensive line. It, it's uh, I, I've, I've always thought that a, a really good offensive line performance can make any running back look good. And that's not to discount what those guys did, the running backs, at all. But I think it's really hard. I think we saw it last year with, 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 with Taylor. It's really hard for a really good running back to lift an offensive line that's not giving him something. I mean, you know, people were talking about how bad JT ran last year. Well, he, he averaged like four and a half a carry. But there just were too many behind-the-line hits and – Five-yard runs were five-yard runs and not 25-yard runs. I thought the offensive line played really well. Maybe they just got tired of people criticizing them, although there was, you know, it was really hard to come to the defense because they just weren't running the ball. For the last five, the previous five games, they, they hadn't gotten much done. So, yeah, I, I thought they really, you know, Ryan Kelly and Quentin and, and Bernhard, you know, I, I don't know how well 
Blake Freedom played. Uh, but I thought the offensive line played one of its better games. Against, again, I, I thought third quarter, or early fourth quarter, the Steelers sort of, sort of said, yeah, I'm, I've, I've had enough. <laughs> no mas. I mentioned my story, no mas. So, but no, but then, but then the thing is, it's do it again. You can't have 177 or whatever it was against Tampa Bay, and then 101 yards the next two games, and then 170 this week, and then and then because again, you still you still need to stay true to who you are, and this team needs to be. You know, I'm not saying 170, but 120, 130 to where Minshew's throwing. 25, 28 times, and and it's and it's third and two, and it's third and four. It's not third and fifteen, or or even third and nine. So, I thought the offensive line played really well. And one thing I hope at the end of the season, when we all do the the the, the critiques and the evaluations, and we look at Blake Blake Freeland, and if boy he had a really rough year, and this grade and that grade, I think he's played pretty damn well for being our mid-round draft pick and being thrown in at left tackle, and then he's had to play more than they had hoped at right tackle. He's getting some massive experience, and I'm not buying into this. Well, this is is why you let Braden Smith go, because he's going to be, you know, 18, 20 million against cap. No, right now you've got a really, really good young swing tackle. That's what you want. Uh, So I I think the line played well. I think Freeland's played well considering how they've kind of thrown him in there so i think it bodes well for the future but it needs to carry over short term he needs to carry over to atlanta and as we said this, this schedule and then teams are obliging although cleveland and in houston coming back he actually did these guys no favors but it's still there for me it's, it's still there you got you got to be again if you, if you told these guys in august that, hey, all you got to do is beat a crappy Atlanta team, a crappy Raiders, and then a pretty good Houston team. And at worst case, you're going to make playoffs, and, and there's a good chance you win the division. You take that every day. So it, it's really worked out well for them. But, but now they've got to close close the deal. Okay, lastly, before we let you go, Chap, we want your thoughts on this. Eddie, we have NFL breaking news, correct? <laughs> Jimmy Cook, read it off. This is from Tom Pelissero, as well as others, says Ian Rappaport and Adam Schefter. But this is from Tom. The NFL is suspending Steelers safety Demonte Kazee without pay for the remainder of the regular season wow. and any potential postseason games for repeated violations of playing rules intended to protect the health and safety of players. Chap, your thoughts on that? I thought I, I knew he was going to get hammered with a uh, heavy fine. I didn't know because I don't cover the Steelers and I don't care. I didn't know he's a repeat offender. That was a vicious, vicious hit. Lower your helmet, and uh, I, I, I guess I'm not surprised. If he's a repeat offender, you're done. There was who was a guy earlier this year? Uh, was it Denver? A Denver safety? Yeah. I, I, get, I think it was the hit on Michael Pittman Jr. For those that perhaps missed it somehow, but that's that's the play the we're Pittsburgh. referring to yeah. in the Pittsburgh game. And yes. the fact that the fact that he walked off the field was amazing. He he, he, he was not going to be carried off on a cart. wasn't going to happen. Hopefully, he's back this week. Some guys respond differently, so. I'm not really surprised that they did that if he's a repeat offender, which he, he apparently is. So they'll have to be without one of their better players. Chap, we'll talk to you. Uh, actually, I guess we won't talk to you next Monday because it is Christmas time. So, again, Merry Christmas. But we always uh, you can call, appreciate you can call, it. but I won't be picking it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I understand, right? 
Um, but, you know, whoever would have guessed at this time of year that we'd be having these kinds of fun conversations as opposed to discussing whether or not they're going to be drafting fifth or seventh, which I think I a lot of us in August thought would be the conversation this time of year. Crazy I agree. year. I Crazy agree. Year. Jap, appreciate it. Have a good holiday, guys. I appreciate you it. Too. Mike Chappell joining us from CBS4 and Fox 59. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Fresh off a chase for the Piston Cup. It's not a Detroit Pistons reference. That's a Cars reference because he's often found playing Rocket League in his free time and sometimes simultaneously doing it while covering your Indiana Pacers. He is Tony East covering the Pacers for Sports Illustrated, taking some time with us. Uh, Tony, we'll keep this very brief because I know that uh, between you, me, and the fence post, nobody cares about this first question, but I got to do it anyway. Uh, How is the Lightning McQueen car in Rocket League treating you? How's that been? It's too small, dude. It's not big enough. It's hard to use. I have no idea what you guys are talking about. Which I I get. I mean, that's turnabout's fair play, right? I think that's good. (laughs) Let's keep it that way. Can you elaborate on what you're talking about? So there's this video game that is free to play, that is basically soccer, but in you're driving cars, driving like little anything from a like indie car to a like van to whatever, and you're just a you're, bus, you're, you're a bus, and you're playing soccer on this pitch. And Jake, this is a little little brief taste for you, terrible for the listening audience, but this is a a, a highlight clip from one of Tony's games, and it's it's basically the whole game. There's two nets, you're playing soccer. Three on three, two v two, all in little Tyco RC style cars. Welcome to twenty twenty three gaming. What time's this? The roller skating party after school. <laughs> I, okay. How do you, Tony? I'll, I'll ask you this because a lot of people enjoy the two screen lifestyle, which is both watching a sporting Ooh. event and maybe playing video games as well. I saw your setup. How do you? How do you balance it? How do you balance locking in on an NBA night versus getting in a little? three-on-three in Rocket League? I have, I have an embarrassing confession. I'm a three-screener, Jimmy. It's even Ooh, worse. Oh, I love it. The, uh, the office here is, is quite overstimulating at times. Uh, I, oh, I usually play during my second watch of every Pacers game. That's my way of okay. getting my time in while also making sure I saw everything from a game, although it's hard to do both at the same time. It is. And it's tough <laughs> for anybody, especially our generation, when it comes to the multitasking <laughs> aspect of things, for sure. I can be better. Well, I'll be better. Do you want to normalize this? Do you want to bring us back down to earth? <laughs> Here's my question for Tony. Sorry to to take it away from Turbo on the pitch. Um, nice. Look, the we know, and it goes without saying that the in season tournament was great. But the in season tournament is now obviously a thing of the past, and it's in the rear view, if you will. Yeah, there you go, and a very small one if you have the small car on the pitch. Um, 
the reality is this, and and you know, it's been a skid since then, Tony. Is this is it a hangover from that? Is it is this strictly matchup? Is it injury with Jalen Smith maybe thought to come back tonight? But you got a big one with the Clippers in town. Just your thoughts on where things stand with them. Yeah, I think the thing that made the in season tournament a challenge was not even the emotional hangover. I thought they would have more of it than they actually did. I think it's just the added games they had, right? They, they'll they be playing 83 this year. Nobody but the Lakers will do that. And so their road trip last week, right, they played Boston on December 4th. That was their last home game, right? They've been two weeks away. Added an extra game. Only Every team in the league only played two games that week that they played three, besides the Lakers, of course. And then they had to travel a bunch and play four and six all on the road with travel in between all of them after being in Vegas, like, it's just hard as a scheduling component. And so, you know, Miles Turner even said it after the Wolves game, like, yeah, we were out of gas a little bit by the end of the game. And you could see it. They were down two at halftime, and they got their butt kicked in the second half. So that on top of not having Smith and Nimhard and, of course, Halliburton on Saturday, and just, you know, a brutal run of opponents besides the Wizards that they should have beat, like, it's all just kind of stacking up at the same time, and they don't look very good right now. Three losses in a row. Worst stretch of the season. Have they regressed defensively? Not that their defense was ever, like, totally top-notch, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah, it's kind of strange, right? Like, right now, I think it's back at the level it was when it was a big concern. Like, it wasn't good, per se, in that stretch where they were doing well in the NCAA tournament and beating some good teams, but, like, their effort against Boston on defense, at least, was solid, and they had some moments in that game. Same with the Bucks game a couple days later where, like, it w- it went from a, an awful defensive level to just, like, a slightly below average defensive level. And now I think it's kind of closer back to the really bad to awful range. And some of that's that their offense has fallen apart, so they have to play more transition defense. But some of that's just some of that effort and success is gone, and they're playing worse. And I, b- I believe that would be called a regression. It's just it's weird that it's regressing back to something it was already earlier this season, which is among the worst in the league in the bottom three for sure. Pacers beat writer Tony East covers them for Sports Illustrated is our guest. Tony, the – analogies and the comments have been made publicly that Tyrese Halliburton wants to be able to bring star players here. And that might well be something that is a conversation for the off season and for how this team is built in the years to come. But when you look at the right now, and you look at the fact that we're about what two months or so from this year's trade deadline, do you think that I know it's weird to ask in December, but when you see where they're at and, that entire road to the in-season tournament and the excitement that kind of revitalized the city, when you look at where they're at from a roster construction standpoint, how aggressive do you think they're going to be in terms of shoring up this roster or maybe trying to bring in a piece that helps you right away in in a big way? How, How aggressive will they be as they navigate and evaluate over these next two months? It is so difficult to say right now just because of their to use an NCAA term, their resume, right? Like, clearly at their best, they're very good. <laughs> They've beaten the Celtics, the Bucks, the twice, the Cavs, the Heat, right? Lots of good teams on their, on their win profile. That's very impressive. But they also have, like, the second most losses in the East against below 500 teams, Portland, Washington, Toronto, Chicago, Charlotte, like all these games that they should win. So how good are the Pacers? Do they even know, right? Like, that level of inconsistency makes it so hard to say how aggressive they should be because, you know, if, if they had, like, expect, expected wins all season, right, if they beat all the bad teams but lost to the good teams, 
I think clearly a 13 and 11 team that hasn't beaten anybody good, you'd say, yeah, they probably shouldn't be trading a ton of assets right now. But the reason it's more confounding than that is, well, <laughs> they have shown they can hang with anybody. Their offense is still, I mean, Philly's been on fire, so it's not as big of a gap, but still first in the league. Bally Talbert looks incredible. So I think the only thing that, that has maybe changed for them a little this season in terms of what they know is if they really believe in Halbert as this level of a recruiter, which they've talked about and which has now been reported more this season after last year, it was a talking point as well. Maybe they're more willing to stomach a trade for a guy with an expiring contract with the hope that they'll be able to re-sign him both with Halbert's influence and the money they'll be able to have either in bird rights or in free agency. But I think it's really hard for them to know what kind of path and aggression level to take right now, just because this team's been so up and down, it's hard to know who they are. Tony, the obvious answer for the most indispensable pacer is Tyrese Halliburton. We know that. Who's second? Miles Turner, to me. I, 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 and they, they have no size, so his actual presence on the inside already is significant on both ends. His offensive level is solid. Like I think he, you can see it in the numbers. Like he, When he's on the floor, their success level is much higher than when he's not. I think it's him because, I mean, not right now it's not happening, but in general, he's been the second most consistent pacer on this team this season, and despite a terrible weekend he just had. And, you know, a lot of their other vets have been up and down. Their young guys have been up and down. But he is, at least on most nights, going to give you quality veteran 18 and 8 kind of minutes. And uh, that, that's valuable, even though it hasn't really bearing out in recent games when they needed it to. What kind of – because I agree with you about Turner. Um, and I think that he not only – because he is one of the few at his position on the roster, but I think he also just brings – something to the table that not only no pacer does, but really throughout the East, you know, his ability to facilitate transition through his rim protection and then his outlet and his able his ability to run the floor. He is a unique guy, Miles Turner. And I know that people get frustrated because on nights where he struggles, you know, against Joel Embiid, for example, it's easy to point that out. But I do feel like still he does need a bruising running mate not even to run with him, but to, to to plant down low for him. Do they still seek that out, and can Walker become that guy who is now starting to get some minutes? Yeah, Walker, great. That The brightest spot of their weekend was Jarris Walker, for sure. And I agree with you. Like Turner does a lot of stuff, and he did before even this era of the Pacers, that makes him a good fit with this group. The fact that he is a little quicker and more nimble and can at least clean up some stuff at the rim allows them to play – the way they do, and that, that's all very helpful. He pairs very well with Halbert and for a reason, but the, the biggest guys, like the, you just mentioned Joel Embiid, like nobody is actually stopping him, right? Like his level the last 10, 12 days is probably the highest of anybody in the league. Like he's climbed back into the top two or three of the MVP conversation if he wasn't already there. So I don't, I don't even know if you think about acquiring somebody to quote-unquote stop him, but it's, it's some like the Zubach guys and the guys like that who, you know, when they crush Miles Turner, you think, man, if they had some strength at the four and could move Turner to some non-shooter and have him roam a little bit, that would help them quite a bit. And I agree with that. And Toppin is, has had a couple good defensive games this season, but mostly substandard on that end of the floor. So I think there is some merit to that. And we've seen around the league, like a lot of teams kind of switch the matchups with their fours and fives defensively if it allows their five to be around the rim more and their four to be a bruiser or be defending the right guy. And I think the Pacers could, if they find the right guy, benefit from that. But that's a hard player to find. There's a reason they're so valuable.
Sports Illustrated's Tony East is our guest. You mentioned the Pacers' struggles against bad teams or sub-500 teams, the worst of which arguably is that 137-123 to loss to Washington on Friday. As you look at the games over the course of the year that have been losses against teams of that nature, what stands out to you more? Is it playing down to competition, or is it a real identifiable issue with this team? I think it's the their like profile, for lack of a better term, as a team that they have this incredible offense that when it's clicking or like when one or two vets are stepping up along Halliburton, they just are basically unstoppable, right? But their defense is so crummy that so many teams can stay in the game against them. So there's two different ways against any team, not just bad teams, but any team that their opponent can be in the game, right? When they lost to Chicago – really early in the season, it was because the Pacers' best-in-the-league offense didn't have a nice night. They scored 105, right? When they uh, fell to Portland, same thing. Their best-in-the-league offense wasn't particularly good that night. So even though they defended okay those games, they couldn't win. But then Washington, Toronto, and Charlotte, they scored great. They were well above 120 in all of those. But their worst-in-the-league defense was so bad that they couldn't slow down those teams and keep up with what should be an inferior opponent, right? 131, 132 against... Toronto 137 against Washington, I think 126 against Charlotte, right? Like just because they play such a way that there's going to be big numbers, they're kind of caught in variance every game. So they, they don't need to be at their best to, to win those games, right? Like they smoked the Wizards on opening night. They had no trouble with the Spurs and Jazz. But there is a lot of ways they can lose. And so even against bad teams, those methods pop up. And sure, those are the same reasons they can beat anybody. It's just a really tough kind of – style to consistently win with and we're seeing that this season at the talent level they have there's going to be a lot of ups and downs tony paul george if i'm not mistaken who you know the pacers will see tonight he's been injured a little bit of late but um i believe i'm correct in saying this that paul george will be a he has a player option at the end of this year and maybe at the end of next year but i think it's at the end of this year but huge price tag but the pacers have a ton of cap reality is this even at his you know, increased age, Paul George brings to the table from a skill set, I think, exactly what Indiana covets, which is obviously a defending and outside shooting wing. Do they in any way, shape, or form kick that tire? Yeah, he's the perfect fit, right? Like, <laughs> if you could name any star in the league who's like the best possible fit for what the Pacers need in terms of a shooter, a, a mostly creator, and a great defender on the wing, it's, it's Paul George, right? I mean, there's better players who do those things than him, but of available guys, yeah, it's him. And you're right, he does have a player option next season, about $48 million. I'm assuming, given the way that this season is going for the Clippers, that he would decline that and look for a longer deal, at like 40 to 45 per year, maybe a little more than that. He does turn 34 next season, so he's getting on the older side, but he's not – like athleticism doesn't really define a lot of his game and he's such a good fit with the Pacers and their cap space dreams are really interesting. It kind of depends on what happens with Buddy Hield and what happens with Bruce Brown. Like if they want to have enough space to chase Paul George, they have to lose both of those guys. And of course, if you can get Paul George, you lose both of those guys. Like it's not even a discussion, but their plans kind of hinge on what they think they can do with those guys and what they think they can do at that space. If not, they might stay over the cap and try to make trades and, Maybe they can do a sign-and-trade for somebody good. But in theory, if they have the space to chase someone awesome, maybe the best possible available player would be PG. But, I mean, 
from L.A. It seems like he loves playing for the Clippers. I'm not sure he'll be available, but if he is, yeah, that is as good of a fit as there is on the market. Tony, you mentioned, and this is an avenue that teams deal with all the time, but you mentioned that there's multiple ways or multiple pathways on any given night the Pacers can lose a game with the style that they play. How do they go about shrinking or closing the door so it's instead of, let's say, seven different ways, there's only three or four ways that a team can go about beating them? Or is that possible with how they play? Well, the, the, the lazy answer is just more talent. Like, I don't think the way they play is the sole factor in their inconsistency, right? Like, the Kings last year had an amazing offense and a not very good defense and played really fast, and they were the three seed in the West, right? Like, they had more – they were really healthy, to be clear, last year. Like, one of the healthiest teams in the last decade – but like, it is possible to have a good team that plays the style the Pacers play, but you need more consistency on both ends, really. And, the, the, you know, there's three-point shooting, and their best shooters have had kind of an up-and-down season, and their defensive talent has come and gone. So, in general, the lazy answer is consistent talent that even if they are giving you awesome offense and just bad, not awful, but just bad defense on a given night, like – that level of consistency would go a long way for them. And having the best offense, 9 out of 10 nights instead of 7 out of 10, and having, like, the 24th rated defense instead of the 28th all the time. Like, I just think it's, it's consistency. And they, they, like, they know this. They know they're young. They said before the season there's the long-term thinking involved in their team. Over half the rotation still on rookie-scale deals. Like, it's not a mystery why they are inconsistent. Although I think the recent part that is maybe more alarming is is need to rely on every night and that's where the talent part comes in is if you get if you get guys like that who aren't having up and down nights all of a sudden it's a lot easier to win with that style we've seen it in the nba before it's kind of how the league's trending so that's kind of all it is to me tony east is our guest talking pacers tony i want to circle back real quick to one other thing that you talked about uh that we kind of opened the door on you know 24 minutes against minnesota for example and jarris walker who was the pacers first round pick Obviously, a young player out of Houston. He's only 20 years old, but you were saying that you thought the best part of the weekend or the silver lining to a difficult weekend for Indiana was Jarris Walker. Take me through, for those that didn't watch the game, what you saw out of him and what it is that gave you optimism in seeing him play and what he did. Yeah, he's got 84 minutes in the NBA now as a pro. 37 of them came over the weekend, right? So, like, almost half of his. NBA minutes have been in the last three days. And the reason he was able to play so much against Minnesota, besides that the Timberwolves are huge and they needed his size, is that he was good against the Wizards, right? They believed they could count on him a little bit more the very next day. And he's gotten these reps in the G League. He's actually going to be playing with the Mad Ants in the G League showcase this week, it sounds like. Um, The thing that was impressive, twofold. One is the passing. I think that's right now his best offensive skill. Like he catches it in the lane and makes quick decisions and gets it to the right guy and is like not just making a pass within the flow of the offense, but it's like creating an open shot for a teammate. And I think that's very valuable on a team that likes to move the ball very quickly. He's got some speed and size. He can be a good screener. Like all that stuff makes him look like he fits in. He hit his shots this weekend. If you cut out his opening night performance now, He's shooting 52% on the season. He was 0 for 5 opening nights. So that's not fair to do. But in general, you can see the, the growth and ascent he's had on offense. But the, the standout thing this weekend to me was the defense, right? He looked totally lost at times early in the season on that end of the floor. This weekend, he looked like 
He was figuring out what he was doing there. Jenny Bushick said it on the broadcast. They're playing a really sophisticated style against Minnesota, but Walker seemed to know what he was doing and figure it out and fit in. So the growth on defense means maybe it's more possible that once the showcase is over, he could get a little bit more consistent playing time if it's there. And the fact that he showed that he can fit in and contribute in a way that he hadn't early in the season means that that's a huge step for the Pacers who, you know, have been playing to win and playing guys to win. But if they can develop him and win at the same time, perhaps it's more plausible to get him out there. And he showed some important stuff this weekend to me. Tony, any, any exciting uh, little car soccer toys you asked Santa for for the stocking this year? I actually do have two Hot Wheels from the game, like sitting on my desk right next to me. Are you are you a married guy, Tony? I have engaged, but not married yet. Okay. <laughs> well, I was going to say you might want to go ahead and uh, accelerate, if you will, those ceremonies before this whole thing becomes too public. You know what I mean? Uh, she is well aware of the of the. Uh, involvement that game has in my life unfortunately <laughs> okay well all the more congratulations to you then right <laughs> the cer- the ceremony is when 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 are we planning on the wedding here <laughs> next february next Not february 24, 25 okay uh did you get your all-star game tickets by the way that went on sale today and everybody's like oh sweet and then they looked and like yeah they're only 1500 bucks <laughs> i did see that they're on sale for all three days i believe now but uh, i do not have any yet so they might have to. Uh, they might have to let me in the back door or something. I'm not sure how. Good buy a ticket or a wedding in the next two <laughs> Februarys, whichever you want. Tony, appreciate it, man. Uh, Pacers and Clips tonight. We'll be reading your coverage afterwards. Appreciate it. You got it. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, Tony East. Life is full of things to manage: your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Closing in on halfway through the 2 o'clock hour here on a Monday, Jake Quarry along with Eddie Garrison and Jimmy Cook. Uh, Many of you probably woke up this morning because that was uh, around the time when the news was released and were unaware until today that last night or yesterday, Eric Montross, the former North Carolina basketball star and, of course, longtime professional basketball player, did radio commentary for the Tar Heels radio network and notably, locally, an Indianapolis product that played at Park Tudor before transferring to Lawrence North and winning the 1989 Indiana State High School Basketball Championship, passed away at the age of 52 after a nine-month battle with, I believe it was liver cancer, but cancer nonetheless. A guy, when it comes talking to his high school career, that Montross is kind of forever linked with in name because when you talk about Lawrence North and those teams, it's usually Montross and Leary, Montross and Leary. And Todd Leary joins us today to join, to talk about it. And Todd, first off, um, let me offer my condolences to you. I, I know it it has to be difficult for you because we're talking about a longtime teammate and friend and a reminder of our own vulnerability perhaps. But I appreciate the time from you today and talking about Eric Montross. 
Hey, I appreciate the opportunity. Um, you know, anytime in these situations that you get to reminisce about, uh, you know, the good old days and, and especially someone like Eric, um, you know, I, I cherish the opportunity now. And you're right at our age. Uh, unfortunately, these are happening happening uh, more often than we would appreciate and like to have happen. But um, you know, that's that's a great introduction. Like you're you're so good at this. Like I, uh, I've kind of hesitated to talk to too many people about it today because you know it's it's just one of those situations you really don't know what to say. Like it's it's so we knew he had cancer, so I mean, I, I guess I'm stupid for not expecting it, but. Um, it's just a tough situation and you, I really, I don't know what to say. It's just sad. It's terrible. There's not a, not a positive spin on it in any way, but, but, you know, I'm very comfortable doing it with you because you are always so prepared and you do such a good job of, of, you know, bringing out the, the highlights of a situation like this and, and, um, so I appreciate you having me on. I appreciate the opportunity. Well, Todd, one of the things, you know, that's funny and you and I've talked about this before, you know, when you're in high school you automatically don't like guys from the other high school, right? That's just the way it right. goes no, when you're a kid. Yeah, that's, and, that's and our, so that's our competitiveness. Um, and so, you know, I, here I am a kid at North Central and I'm watching Lawrence North and I just, I didn't like, I didn't like you. I didn't like Todd Richards. I didn't like his mullet. I didn't like Eric Montross, you know, any of it. Right. <laughs> and I didn't like your mullet for that matter. But, <laughs> but I, 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 in hindsight, I look back now and I realize the naivete of my of my childhood and my adolescence because you are one of those that has illuminated to me, and I wanted you to be able to tell people now just what kind of a guy Eric Montross was. I mean, he was obviously a great basketball player, but what kind of friend and teammate was Eric Montross? Yeah, and and that's that's the you know the benefit of an opportunity like this, and you can you can go through today. He'll have. He'll have one million people from North Carolina, his teammates there. You know, it's funny because when we all go off to colleges, we all, you know, develop different families and all that. But we never, you know, even though we don't communicate as much as, as we did, obviously, back in high school, you know, you, you never lose that bond that you had. And especially because of Coach Kiefer and what a what an outstanding job he, he and Jan, his wife, always have done at keeping us all in the loop and tied together. Um, but you will hear from that family, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where you hear it from. You're going to hear about what a great person Eric was. And, and a lot of times, you know, that's, that's the case of what you'll say about somebody that wasn't a great athlete. I mean, we just went through this last, what, a week ago with George McGinnis. And, and if you, people were ever fortunate enough to cross paths with George McGinnis, you know, talking about him and how he played in his playing career was definitely secondary to the stories that you hear about him because he's just one of those people that makes you feel great. And Eric is one of those people that in every single conversation always makes you feel more important than him. And that's, that's a, that's a skilled trait. Like that's, that's ingrained in him from his family. And, and the whole family was just good, solid people that, you know, always did the right thing and made good decisions. And, um, and man, not, not all of us can say that me and my hand in the air. Um, And and so, you know, I, I want people to know, yes, Eric was ridiculously great as a high school basketball player, college basketball player, and, and in the NBA. And, and anyone that can have a 10 or 11 year NBA career is, is amazing, is, is an athlete beyond what most of us can comprehend. And so that part of him is great. But Eric was just, there's going to be, you know, I said this earlier, there's going to be 
maybe 150 people today that think their best friend died. And, and, you know, like, like I could probably limit my, my best friend to probably one person, if, if at all. And, and Eric's got a million of them. And he's just that dude that, that man, he just made you feel better about everything, even in bad situations. And I was just so fortunate enough to have him on my team and, and, you know, be associated with him. Todd, when was the first time Todd Leary is our guest who teamed with Eric Montross at Lawrence North, of course. Um, when was the first time that you met Eric? I mean, was it before you guys were teammates at Lawrence North? And was there a particular moment that you can recall, like in a practice or in a moment where you kind of stopped and went, okay, this guy's pretty special? Yeah. Um, so I was, I was, you, the way you described everything at the beginning, that was me because you're, you know, like I grew up in North Central's uh, junior high, pro, elementary and junior high program. So they were the other school to me. I hated Todd Richards and I hated uh, Eric Montross also. Like I was, I was in that book. And then, you know, my family ended up moving to Lawrence my freshman year of high school. And so I ended up all of a sudden being teammates with him at that point. And that's when Eric, um, we were the same grade, you know, in junior high. And then he um, took a COVID year back then and went to Park Tudor for a year um, and then came back and ended up being my teammate at Lawrence North. And, and you know, the the times when I knew – I mean, he wasn't, uh, he wasn't great as a freshman. Like, I, I would have said this if he was sitting right in front of me right now, which I wish he was. But, but I mean, he wasn't great as a freshman. You want to talk about someone that improved – and improved in every category. Like he was he was not that coordinated. His hands were not that great. Um, I mean, we practiced on interior passes for hours and hours and hours and hours. And man, he got to be where he had the best set of hands that you can imagine. And and I remember Coach uh, Kiefer was tremendous at uh, getting a lot of the Pacers at that time and guys from Butler to come and play in the summertime at Lawrence North Gym and our open gyms that, that went on there. And I remember seeing Eric playing against some of the Pacer guys and some of the guys from Butler. Um, and, and it wasn't just his size. It was, you know, he wasn't afraid. He was, he was in there battling and using his body. And, um, you know, I, I think anyone that ever ran into Eric playing basketball knows, you know, what a big barrel chested kid he was even, I mean, he looks pretty skinny. I saw somebody sent me a picture earlier of us from the Indianapolis Star when we were in high school. And, and I mean, he doesn't look, I guess, doesn't look that strong maybe, but, man, he had a barrel chest. And uh, I remember one time I used to always yell at him about fading away because, obviously, he's taller than everybody that we're playing against. And, you know, I guess that was my way of being the leader or being the cool guy or whatever. But I used to always yell at him about fading away when he would shoot the ball one time he, he faded away. I think I've told you this story before. One time he faded away and came running. He missed the shot and came running down the court in the middle of a game in high school. And I punched him right in the chest. Like, punched him. <laughs> and I thought it was hard. Like, I, I took the bad end of that deal. And I'm, I'm not even sure he re- – I think he might have known I, like, hit him in the chest, but he wasn't sure. I tried to hit him hard. Um, but he was a big dude. Like, he was just an all-around big guy. And – um, man, he developed his game in high school. He became great. I, I think we all remember that kind of that iconic picture of him at North Carolina with the blood running down his face and um, shooting a free throw. I mean, that's him. He wouldn't. He, he probably didn't even know he was bleeding. Like that dude was just a monster. Um, and you know, like I said, we're, we'll hear a million things about about basketball and all that. But you're gonna you're gonna ask people about him 
and hear stories about him repeatedly, and it's going to be about what a great person he was and what a good teammate he was and what a good person he was to play with. Todd, how difficult was the decision process and ultimately the choice of Eric to go to UNC? You know, um, I, I don't know that it was. I, I, I'm not going to say it wasn't difficult because that family, um, and I, it was a family decision at that point, um, that family thinks everything through. They, they are not someone that's going to, you know, make a decision without weighing all of the options and all of the factors involved. And, you know, at that time, you know, Eric's family has a lot of alma mater ties to Michigan. Michigan was, I think, in play. Indiana was in play. But there was just tons of rumors and stories about his dad not getting along with Coach Knight and all that. And, and I mean, I, I saw them interact several times and never – saw huge animosity, never saw anything go one way or the other. Um, I just, I, I think, I think he picked a school they honestly thought was best for him. And of course, I, I, I told him at the time what a terrible decision it was. I told him, I told him he had to come to Indiana. It made no sense for him to go anywhere else. And at the end of the day, that's a decision that would have been best for me. He picked a school where he won a national championship and played 10 plus years in the NBA. So there's no way we could ever – someone could say that decision was wrong other than just being a, a diehard Indiana fan that says he would have won two national championships at Indiana because I have people tell me that all the time. You know, Todd, the interesting thing is – Todd Larry's our guest. For Eric Montross to go to North Carolina, you know, at the time it was – I mean, I remember, I, you know, hell, I remember I was carrying groceries out at Joe Amalia Food Market when it was announced, and literally, like, the guy I was carrying him out for is like, I hope he never wins a game. I mean, people were – it was vilified for a lot of people, right? But I don't know that you can – what's that? I mean, people are just being – you know, I'll I'll just give them a pass here and just say they're being fans. Oh, for for sure. I mean, that's what I mean. But but in the end – I, I'm going to ask it this way: Like, do you think there were players that played AAU ball with Eric Montross, or grew up with Eric Montross, or knew Eric Montross that almost were envious of the love affair that he had with his coach in his university, and the way that for lifelong terms it worked out for him in terms of his relationship with North Carolina? Yeah, I don't. I don't think there's. Uh, I mean, I don't know that jealousy or whatever would be the exact term I would use in it but I mean I envious yes I, I think you're right on I think people um people are envious of um you know winning a national championship that's for sure anyone that's ever won one is in an elite group that um you know that it's a small club uh that everyone that plays basketball wants to be a part of so um you know when when you don't earn your way into that um you know there's no honorary members into that like you either earn your earn your trophy or you don't get one and so, yeah, there's some, some envy definitely from that perspective. You can't argue with the decision. Had he gone there and never won a national championship, even making it to the Final Four, never winning a national championship, yeah, I think I would to this day argue, you know, I, I think it's really easy for us to sit back and say we would have won a national championship had he come to Indiana. Um, but, but, I mean, I'd love to have seen our chances for that to have happened because he would, uh, you know, he's a beloved icon, you know, in Indiana still. Um, but, I mean, you know, let's not kid each other here. Like, what would it be around here like today had he gone to Indiana? I mean, the death of him today. I mean, I remember when Eric Anderson died. Like, I mean, it was hard to function for a little while 
you know, and, and, and that's the way the Indiana family is. Like, that's the way everything is. I, I can tell you today, this is how big of a family this, this thing creates, is all of my teammates from Indiana University have contacted me today. And, and you know, the only reason I've not, I've not put anything out on, on Twitter or whatever is because, I, honestly, like, I feel guilty when people say I'm sorry for your loss because, you know, I'm sorry for his family's loss. Like, I, I, don't, I don't want somebody to be sorry for me. Like, I, I, I hate it. Like, I feel sick. I've, I've cried a hundred times today. And it just is, you know, it's just a, a sad situation that, um, you know, I lost my train of thought. I apologize. But I just, I get too emotional when I start thinking about it. Well, Todd, if Eric Montross, <clears throat> quite frankly, Todd Leary's our guest, um, and, and I ask this, you know, respectfully, but let's be real. If Eric Montross was not your high school teammate, would you have gotten the opportunity to be part of that Indiana family? Oh, I don't think there's any doubt I would not have. And, you know, I've told you this over the years, uh, and, and I, I will always say this, and if they didn't do this, then they just lucked into a, a situation. But if I knew – I know it was down to a couple of players, um, and Matt Painter, I think, being one – or definitely being one of them for sure. We all played on the same Indiana Red AAU team together, which I am the first one to say I only got to play on the Indiana Red team because of Eric. Um, and, and my dad and Eric's dad and Scott Montross and Eric and myself used to ride down twice a week and practice for the Indiana Red team down in Bloomington for, for AAU. And had I never had that opportunity, there's no chance I would have ever received the scholarship to play at IU. And if they didn't factor it in when it came down to whatever the last few player, players they were going to choose from, if I was in that pool, if having the opportunity to drag Eric with me wasn't a part of that decision, I'd be shocked. Um, but I'm sure that it had to be. And, and you know, it's uh, people, people to this day will say to me, um, at a golf outing or whatever it might be, you know, when, when it comes up about playing at Lawrence North every single time, they all say, man, how could you not get Eric to come there? Or why didn't Eric come there? And, and I really wish I had that answer, but I always say the same thing. He made a good decision for him and it certainly has worked out. So it would be hard to second guess what he did. Do you think it might be just because three years is the max that people can hang out with you? (laughs) <laughs> if they get to three, then yeah, then, then they're definitely quota. ready to roll. He's like, I'm good. <laughs> they're definitely ready to hey, roll at that point. Todd, um, you know, you made reference to it there, and I think people listening know. Todd Larry's our guest. You know, obviously you, you had at times in the last 10 years or so times when when life got difficult for you, uh, you know, some somewhat of your own fruition admittedly, but – did Montrose reach out to you? Did you maintain a friendship or a relationship, or was it simply the kind of guy where he almost didn't have to because you guys just had that bond and it was understood? Yeah, he would not have had to, but, but it's funny. Um, I've told this story before, and, and yes, he did. He, I did talk to him after I got um, out of being in trouble and, and those things. And, and um, you know, two people – <laughs> to and I'm not saying everyone doesn't think it and not one's a better person because they did say it or didn't say it or whatever, but two former teammates and I'll call them former teammates slash friends, you know, basically looked me in the eye or mine was, was on the phone with Eric and had the conversation and said, 
why would you do that? Like, how could you make such a stupid decision? And Pat Graham and Eric Montross are the two people who I know everyone had to be thinking it, but, but they had the guts to, to, and, and they, you know, I look at it as Eric holds his friends to a standard of, um, you know, not making bad choices and decisions that are going to affect other people. And, 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 you know, it's hard to answer that question as a friend. Um, I think you appreciate teammates and friends when they do hold you accountable. And, you know, that's, I think that's part of, uh, when bonds get really get tight and and unbreakable almost is when when guys do hold you to some accountability like that. And so yeah, Eric, I talked to him after that about it. After that, I wouldn't necessarily say he was judging me about it. I think he honestly, truly wanted to know like why would I have chosen to put myself in a position I could get in trouble like that? And 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 it's a valid point and a valid question. I would want to ask a friend that. I would hope that I've learned from him and from. My from Pat in in that situation to you know ask people the question, hold them accountable for it because I appreciated it. I didn't take offense to the question at all. I just didn't have a good answer for him. Well, Todd, as I mentioned earlier in the program, and I've said throughout the course of the day, you know, for me, certainly people of my era, um, I think the name Todd Leary is is kind of forever linked with Eric Montross because it's kind of like McGinnis and Downing, you know what I mean, Edwards and Jones. There are certain tandems that people just automatically link in their mind. And you had other great players on that Lawrence North team, no question. Um, yeah. But, you know, I think I think you should be proud of the fact, obviously, that your name is linked with Eric Montross. And I know it's a tough day today. Um, but the good news is you guys have a lot of memories to fall back on, and there are a lot of memories that a lot of people in central Indiana – found joy in as well so I think I speak for a lot of people in thanking you for that but also for your time and reflecting on him today hey you, like I said earlier I super appreciate the opportunity um, I w- I'm glad to do it with you because I know I can at least hold my composure for a little bit um, but man I, I will miss Eric you know I, I think uh, I, I know you're trying to get off here but but one thing I, I just want to say because take, maybe take whatever you need somebody this will hit somebody the right way is I talked to him on November the 30th. I'm sorry. I talked to him on November the 30th, and I I said to him at that point in a text message that I was going to get there to see him. And he didn't tell me that he was this far along in the process. And, <clears throat> sorry, guys, on December 17th, 18th, or whatever it is, I, I regret not making time to do that. So if someone's in that position somewhere along the road, take the time and do it. I appreciate it, Todd. It's an important message and in particular, um, you know, just before the holidays and everything else. And, uh, you know, I, I know what loyalty and friendship mean to you. And I know you had that in Eric Montrass. So I appreciate the time today. Um, hey, hey, I really appreciate it, guys. I'm, I'm sorry. I, <laughs> I'm not tougher when it comes to these things, but I'm not. And, and I'm, I'm I just miss him already, and I know his family misses him 10 times more than me. Well, I appreciate it, Todd. And I actually think showing that level of vulnerability is in itself the definition of of kind of a toughness, and I think he'd be proud of it. I appreciate it. I'll talk to you soon, all right? All right. Thanks, guys. All right. Todd Leary joining us on the show. Uh, Good conversation. And Eric Montross, again, will be missed by a lot of people passing away at the age of 52.